Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. I'm going to give you guys some insider info about my parents. My dad's a pastor, my mom's a preschool teacher, and I, I realized something early on in my life, despite those two very uh, trustworthy, notable positions, uh, my parents lied to me occasionally. Um, I know it's surprising. I know a parent in here would never lie to their children. You never have. This is not for this church. It's for other people in other places right now. But uh, I didn't realize my parents were lying to me at the time. It took me some time to, to really figure it out. Uh, but this week, I, I started looking for some lies that parents tell their kids. And I'm not talking about you. I know you don't. I know you've never done that. I know you never thought about that. I know you're judging my parents right now, and you're wondering how I became the upstanding citizen that I am, knowing that my parents occasionally told me lies uh, growing up. But here are a few of the most common lies. I can remember times when, when uh, kids would get punished. Uh, we got spanked. Uh, if my dad lived close enough, he'd still spank me. He, he don't care. Uh, if I messed up, he'd still spank me. Um, but sometimes uh, parents will come into a room right before they punish kids and they'll say this line um, that they want you to believe. They desperately want you to believe, but uh, it, is, it is not true. Uh, did your parents ever look at you before they spanked you and say, listen, son, daughter, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. There's only one person in here crying, and it's not you, Dad, okay? There's only one person that looks like they just got a high five on their behind, and it's not you, Dad. I don't understand what you say. My dad never said that because my dad knew that it was going to hurt me more than it was going to hurt him. He wasn't going to lie about it, wasn't going to play around. Like, that's why they call it a spanking and not a high five. It's supposed to hurt, and, and so my dad would not even, he would not even pretend uh, about that, but sometimes your parents lied to you and said this, this spanking is not going to hurt. Uh, another thing my mom used to tell me is this. She, <laughs> she used to say, Nathan, if you'll eat your vegetables, then you will grow up and be big and strong, tall and strong. And you know, I, we had two little boys in our house, my, me and my older brother, and so that's every little boy's dream right there, right? You want to be tall and strong. That's, it doesn't matter. That, that's the two, I want to grow up and be tall and strong. And so my mom told me, you eat those peas, you eat those carrots, you eat those green beans, Nathan, you're going to be tall and you're going to be strong when you grow up. And then I realized something. Uh, my dad is five foot ten, and my mom is five foot seven. No amount of peas or vegetables is ever going to make me tall. Like, I don't care if that's the only thing I ate growing up. I was never going to be tall. I'm never going, like, if I started eating right now, like, I'm not going to hit another growth spurt. Like, I am done at, like, five, eight and a half or whatever I am. And, like, I was never going to be tall. But that's what my mom told me to trick me, I think, into, or either she didn't define tall, uh, like she tricked me into thinking, you know, like I need to get Nathan to eat his uh, vegetables. I was doing some research this week even on most, <laughs> most popular lies that, ki- that parents tell their kids. One of them was this. I thought this was so funny. Tell me if your mom or dad ever did this to you. When a kid asks for something from a store, uh, ice cream, or a treat, sometimes parents will look down at the kid and say, oh, that store's not open right now. Your mom ever says, I want some ice cream. Oh, that, it's not open right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, nope. It's not, it's not open right now. It's closed for today. And the kids are like, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Like, they didn't want to say no. 
I don't know if your mom ever told you that the ice cream store was closed, but it was probably not closed. She just didn't want to break it to you. Here's, here's one that, that I've heard my whole life, and, and adults will say this. My parents told me this, and it was definitely a lie. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. I don't know if that's just something parents tell their kids to, to help them to not feel bad if somebody is bullying them or if somebody is saying something negative about them. And they, but they'll just look at their kids like straight faced and say, words don't hurt. Like what people say to you, that can't hurt you. That, that doesn't impact you in a negative way. Now, if they were to throw a stick or like hit you with a rock, now that would hurt. But not the words that they say, not how people treat you. And my mom used to tell me that, Nathan, don't worry about what they say, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And it's a way that she used to teach us to, to brush things off our shoulder, to keep moving, don't let things get us down. But like, let's face it, man, words hurt. Things that people say to you and about you. Man, in fact, I, I would say that sometimes words hurt worse than if you got like hit with a stick or somebody threw a literal stone at you. Words can hurt for a longer amount of time. Maybe if you get a physical injury, you know, you, you, you recoup and it gets better and then you're, you're off. But sometimes the words that people say can stick with us for years. It can shape our identity. And the reality is, man, in, in our lives, the stones that people throw, the sticks that people swing are not literal sticks and stones. Most of them are words. And you know just as well as I do that sticks and stones will break your bones and words can break them even harder or <laughs> whatever rhyme we can come up with. I'm nervous, as I mentioned earlier, that there are some people that are following Jesus that don't know who Jesus is. There are some people in our community that don't like Jesus that will never step foot into this building, that will never have anything to do with any kind of religion whatsoever because they think they know Jesus, but they have no idea. They've run into a Christian or somebody that thinks they're a Christian that has acted in some way, that has said something, that has thrown a stone in some way, shape, or form, and they've convinced ourselves if that's who Jesus is, if that's what Jesus acts like, if that's what Jesus sounds like, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. And I'm worried that many people don't want to have anything to do with God because of a stick or a stone that has been thrown. And so I want to tell you a story today that really challenged me. Really challenged me. I hope it challenges you this morning. This is possibly one of the last groups of verses to be added in all of Scripture. Like, like the whole Bible was bound up, written, and, and this one story almost didn't make it. In fact, in some of your translations, when you look at John chapter 8, there will be a, a little heading at the top that says, Some of the earliest manuscripts do not contain this story. Some of the earliest Bibles that were put together did not have this story in it yet. And, and just through the leading of the Holy Spirit, like God impressing it on men's lives to say, no, we, we have to include this story. We cannot leave this story out. Like, this is so powerful. There's so much to learn about Jesus. I think this story will change lives for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And I'm so glad that even at the last minute, even though this particular group of verses was not included in the original manuscripts that were gathered together, that, that someone stepped up and said, this story has to be told. 
because we're going to get to see who Jesus really is. It's a game changer. It's too important to be left out. And so I want to add this story. I want to throw it out to you in John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. One of the most powerful stories, maybe one of the most countercultural stories that you will hear about Jesus' life. Here's how it starts in verse 2. Early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Jesus, throw it back, is clear in the Old Testament. That's the law, right? You love the Bible. You're supposed to be following that. But, but what do you say? Verse 6, they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. This is a, 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 an intense story, especially first thing in the morning. Early in the morning, Jesus was in the temple. Very early, and all of the people were there. And then we read that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They're not assuming that she was an adulterer. It's not just gossip like, oh, hey, man, I heard some things that maybe this lady did some of those things. No, it says they, they caught her. Like the, the door was opened and, and some guy was like, oh, sorry about that. Hey, wait a minute. That's not your husband. That's not your wife. Hey, everybody come in here. And they drug her out of the room. We don't know what kind of clothes she had on or how she was dressed. But early in the morning, they dragged this woman out. But I, I got to tell you, this is not a coincidence. It's not like just wrong place at the wrong time. This seems planned. This seems calculated. They knew exactly where Jesus would be. They knew exactly what was going on. They got up early in the morning. They drug her out into the middle of town where all of the people, Scripture says, hundreds of people were there listening to Jesus teach. And they put Jesus on the spot in front of all of these people. Jesus, what do you think we ought to do? What are we going to do about this woman that's been caught in sin? Second part of verse 6. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now I want you to look closely at what Jesus says first. He does not argue with the men as to whether or not she's guilty. He does not look up and say, well, I don't know. Caught? Is this gossip? Did you just hear this? Did you literally catch her? When did you catch her? When, like, where was it? Like, give me the rundown of it. Like, let's run the report. Tell me all the details about it. He, he does not argue with them about whether she's guilty or not. Here's what Jesus addresses first. He looks at the religious people and says, why are you people so fired up about it? I, I, I know, I know, I'm not saying she's not guilty. I'm not saying she wasn't caught in the act of adultery. Clearly, she was caught in the act of adultery. I, my question that Jesus has is, why do you guys have such a desire to stone her? 
Why do you want to bring her in front of everybody? Why do you want to parade her, maybe half-naked woman, in front of everybody in this town? When a woman caught in the act of adultery was thrown down at Jesus' feet, why does a bloodthirsty religious crowd fill their hands with rocks and demand that she be stoned? See, we see a, a huge contrast. I want to share with you this morning some contrast between Jesus and the religious people. Because I'm afraid that many people believe that religious people and Jesus are the same. That they think the same, that they talk the same, that they act the same. And well, no wonder nobody likes Jesus today. Because if Jesus were like religious people, then I wouldn't like Jesus. Because I don't like religious people either. And so look at the contrast. Here's the first contrast that I want to point out. The religious people says this, look at what she is doing. And Jesus turns around and says, look at how you are responding. The religious people were were pointing out what, what she did says a lot about her. And Jesus stands up and says, yes, and how you respond says a lot about you. Jesus flips the script on them. They're worried about what someone else that is far from God has done, the sins that they've committed. And Jesus stares straight at them and says, yeah, we're going to talk about that. We'll address that. We'll talk about it. But here's a question that I have for you. Let's talk about your heart first. Let's talk about why you got a stone in your hand. let's, Let's respond to the woman We'll get to that, but, but let me ask you this. How you respond to the woman, Jesus says, honestly tells me a lot more about you than it tells me about her. How people that claim to be lovers of God and claim to be followers of Jesus, it's so interesting that Jesus did not go to the woman first. He did not go to her sin first. He did not address the situation at hand first. He turns to the religious people. He says, why? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you drag her in front of everyone? And then he says a really, really famous phrase. You don't have to love Jesus to have heard this phrase. Like, I know people that say this phrase that don't even know that it was Jesus who said this phrase. Like, they, that it's so popular, they don't even know who said it. And it's, Jesus says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Even non-Christians love that phrase. They're quoting Jesus, don't even know they're quoting Jesus. People that don't even believe in Jesus love that Jesus said that. Here's the observation. Jesus, in this story, does not categorize the sins. Jesus does not say that there is a difference in the sin that she committed and there is a difference in the sin that the men have committed. For Jesus, they're all on the same playing field. He doesn't look at the men and say, yeah, now that sin is wild. Y'all sin is a little bit better, not quite as, y'all still have some, but y'all have like a little sin, and hers was a big sin. Hers are, or yours are private, and so they're better because nobody knows about it, but hers were, like, she got caught. Like, that's what makes her sin so bad. She got caught in adultery. No, Jesus doesn't make any difference. No differentiation between what she did and what the religious people did. No difference between her sin and any of their sins. And I want you to catch that because Jesus does not differentiate between any of your sins and any of the sins of any other people in the world. They're all on the same playing field. They're not sins that are worse. They're not sins that are different. They're all disobedience to God. They're all sins. And I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame that 
When most people that are far from God think of religious people, or they think of church people, or they think of people that follow Jesus, the phrase that comes to their mind is not let him who has no sin cast the first stone. The phrase that comes to their mind, and that they commonly think of, is this person has been caught in blank. If you got stones, then it's time to throw them. Oh, wow, like, those are the people that will call out any sin, call out any immorality, and will be quick to cast the first stone. Those Christians, those religious people are stone throwers. And that's where they get that reputation from. The religious people only cared about one thing, and it was this girl paying the price for her sin. Verse 9, but when they heard it, they heard that response from Jesus, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has has no one condemned you? I love that small detail. At the beginning of the story, all, all of the town. Now, I don't know if all of the town, like (laughs) everyone in the town was there, but Scripture says all the people came to see Jesus. Then all the religious people showed up. And there's a massive amount of people there. And then in verse 10, we read, And he was alone with her. All of a sudden, after Jesus spoke, there was no one there except he and Jesus. And I think that simple statement tells you a lot about what the religious people really wanted. And it also tells you a lot about what Jesus really wanted and who Jesus really is. Check this out. Anytime we use religion to draw a line to keep people out, Jesus will always be found on the other side of that line. Anytime in Scripture where you see people drawing a line that pushed people away from God, eventually they looked up and saw Jesus with the people that were far from God. Last week, the religious people rolled up to the tax collector's house. They drew a line in front of the house. They said, oh, look at those people, tax collectors, sinners. And they looked up, and Jesus was in there with them. They had created separation. Today, the religious people drew a line and said, oh, adulterer, caught in it. And by the end of the story, they looked up, and Jesus was on the other side of the line with the people. Here's the second contrast. Uh, Religious people draw lines to keep people out. Jesus crossed lines to invite people in. You see that? You see how religious people love to draw lines to make themselves look better and to keep people away from God? Where Jesus crossed lines, he shouldn't have been alone with the woman. He shouldn't have been eating with the tax collectors. He shouldn't have been rolling with the sinners. He shouldn't be hanging out or having anything to do with your life, honestly, today. But Jesus crosses lines in order to help other people feel like they are invited in. That tells you everything you need to know about the religious people. It lets you know the only thing they cared about was that woman paying the price. The only thing they cared about was that she would be stoned. The only thing they cared about was for them to be able to say, you know what, we were right, you were wrong. You committed a sin, we didn't. We caught you, we're better, we're more awesome. Jesus, pat us on the back for doing the right thing. They didn't care about her. They could care less about that woman. They don't care about her future. They don't care about her freedom. They don't care about what's next for her. And you can tell, because as soon as they found out that she wasn't going to get stoned, they left. 
They didn't care that her life would be restored. They didn't care that her reputation was gone. They didn't care that she lost her character. They didn't care that they had drugged this poor girl half naked out in front of the whole city. They didn't care how she'd be embarrassed. They didn't care about what her life would be moving forward. When they found out they weren't going to get the blood, then they simply dropped the stones and walked away. Jesus understood something. This woman was looking for the right thing, but she was looking for it in the wrong place. This woman was looking for love, she was looking for belonging, she was looking for acceptance, and she was looking for that in the wrong place. All those things are things that God has created a desire in our hearts for. All those things are godly things. But she went and looked for it in a relationship, in a relationship outside of the design that God had intended. But I'm so glad that people that are looking for the right thing in the wrong place can find the right one. Jesus found the girl that was looking for the right thing in the wrong place, and her life was getting ready to be changed. Here's what happened at 11. This is so powerful. You know, where are they, man? Is there anybody that's going to condemn you? Anybody here that's going to throw a stone? Look up. And she said, no one, Lord. No one is here. No one to condemn me. No one to cast a stone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Here's a common phrase. Maybe you've heard like movie stars say this. Some uh, pop culture figures have said this. Maybe some of your friends have said this. Um, but there's a fr- like it's on T-shirts. It's printed on like social media posts. But, but this phrase, you ever heard this phrase? Only God can judge me. <laughs> People that don't believe in God say, only God can judge me. People that are far from God say, hey, you, you can't judge me. You, you don't need to judge me. Only God can judge me. And I've always thought that was very interesting because uh, that should be the most terrifying thing that you ever say. Because <laughs> here's the reality. If I had to choose between two people judging me, God that knows everything about me, every thought that I've ever had, everything that's ever crossed my mind, everything that I've ever done that you people will never know about, If I had the choice between that person judging me and one of you guys judging me that only know about me based on what I put on social media, I'm going to choose y'all every time. Like, there is nowhere I'm like, yeah, the God that knows everything, only he can judge me. Right, God? Like, that ought to terrify you. That ought to be worst case scenario. Is knowing the one that knows everything about you has the power to judge you. But here, Jesus makes it very clear. Who can condemn you? Anyone? Anyone? And she looks up and she says, no. And the most powerful part of this verse is that Jesus actually answered his own question. Jesus said, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And what Jesus could have done was bent down and pick up a stone and stoned her to death on the spot because he had no sin. For this woman, it wasn't an out for Jesus to say, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. It was Jesus giving himself permission to do whatever he wanted in response to that woman's sin. And the powerful part is when Jesus said, yeah, then neither do I condemn you. The one person in the room that had the power and authority to stone you to death says, I'm not going to do it either. 
there's a, a beautiful moment that comes here. It's, it's in her act of repentance. You know, she actually makes a public profession of faith when she says, looks at Jesus, no one, Lord, Lord. She looks at Jesus and says, I want to acknowledge not only that you are Lord, but that you have just forgiven me of the sins that I have committed. A simple confession of faith. No one, Lord, no one is here to condemn me. Lord, you literally just save me from paying for my own sins. And then Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. I want you to notice the, the, the order there. Like Words matter, right? Notice that. Neither do I now go and sin no more. Here's a third contrast. Religious people love to say this. Go and sin no more, then we will no longer condemn you. But Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Too many times, religious people of the church said, hey, clean your life up. Go and sin no more. Go a season of life where you don't sin. Like, you got to prove it. you got to prove that you've changed. you got to prove that you're not a sinner. you got to prove that you're not going to do that. And so, like, we're going we're gonna to watch you. And then, when you do that, then we will welcome you in the family. Then we will start treating you like a real person. Then you are more than welcome to hang out with us. And that's not what Jesus said. Many Christians, many religious people today say, change your life, clean yourself up, then I will not look down on you anymore. Then I will not condemn you. Then I will not judge you. Then I will not put you through the ringer. Then you can be family. But Jesus says, nope. Experience life change through Jesus. I will not condemn you. I will forgive those things and now go and sin no more. I think another thing we got to be careful about is Jesus did not just say, then neither do I condemn you. Because there are some churches that are out there preaching a message like, there is no right or wrong. Like, you do whatever you want to. And who cares? Like, just let people do what they want to, say what they want to, love who they want to. Like, it doesn't matter. We can't condemn them. That's not our role. Then neither do I condemn you. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now that your life has been changed by Jesus, now that you understand what forgiveness is, now that you know what grace is, now that you know that you face no condemnation, now your life will be different. Now you will go and sin no more. Let that encounter. Here's what Jesus said. Look down at the lady and said, let what you've experienced today change your life forever. You will not be the same person moving forward. Now go and sin no more. Jesus did not tell her just to stop sinning. He told her to go out and live a life that shows that she knows who Jesus is. That shows that her life has been changed. That shows that she has experienced life change through Jesus. Now it's interesting that Jesus is very clear on his last instructions here. Very clear to this woman. Jesus knew that it would be easy, just like you and I, that it would be easy for her to move from the adulterous woman to quickly becoming the religious leaders. Jesus knew that that's our tendency. As soon as our lives are changed by Jesus, we like to become the religious leaders that are looking down on others for their sin, that are judging others, that are condemning others for their sin. Jesus knew that, if woman, if you're not careful, you will become a stone thrower just like them. Because here's what's going to happen. That lady was going to leave and throughout town, she was going to see the men that drug her out of that house. 
and she would have an opportunity. I'll either be bitter towards them, and I'll pick up my own stones and throw it at them, or I will offer forgiveness. That lady is going to walk around town and see those hundreds of people that sat there and watched her be humiliated, half-dressed, and accused by these men. And it's going to be her tendency to say, why didn't you come to my aid? Why didn't you help me? Why didn't you say something? Why did you let them do that in front of me? And she would be tempted to pick up a stone and begin to judge them and to begin to throw it at them. And Jesus says, whoa, before you leave, you need to understand, go and let this day change your life. Don't forget what happened when Jesus forgave you. Don't forget what happened when everybody else was around you and they drew a line and then they dropped the stones. Jesus knew that we have a tendency, as soon as we are forgiven, to go and pick up a stone to throw at someone else. Here's the the final contrast. Jesus says, religious people focus on the failure in your past, where Jesus focuses on the promise of your future. The religious people said, look at what she's done. And Jesus says, now I want you to go and live your life changed. You have a future. No, she has a past, Jesus. Somebody's got to pay for that. Somebody has to take the fall. That cannot be tolerated. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Now go and tell your story. Now go and experience life change. Two things happened uh, once the men dropped the stones. And I want to say this because I want you to know how important it is for you to drop the stones. Two things happened in the story. The woman couldn't see Jesus until the men dropped the stones. She could not see Jesus. The first time she looked at Jesus, the first time she interacted with Jesus was after the men dropped the stones. And did you know that if you are holding stones ready to cast at people that are far from God, that may be the thing that is keeping them from seeing Jesus for the very first time. And experience and life changed through him. The second thing is this, the woman couldn't come to grips with her sin until the men dropped the stones. She was fearful of her life. She was pushing people away. She didn't want to be anywhere around Jesus. She didn't want to be confronted with the mistakes that she had been made. As long as those men had the stones in their hand, the only thing she cared about was putting up walls, being on the defensive, saving her life, saying and doing whatever it could to get her out of the situation. But once the men dropped the stones, she was able to see Jesus for the first time. She was able to realize, you're right, I was caught in the act of adultery. And that's a sin. And that separates me from God. But if this is who God is, if this is the real Jesus, then maybe there's hope for me, after all. Maybe there's a future for me, after all. Here's the gospel. We have all been caught in the act of something. That's it. This is a gospel message, man. Now, it may not be adultery, but every person in this room can fill in that blank. You have been caught in the act of dot, dot, dot. I, many, 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 many times, have been caught in the act of blank. None of us is perfect. Every single one of us is a sinner. And some of you may be thinking, well, 
Why didn't Jesus let that woman be stoned? Why? Aren't there consequences for sin? Don't people have to pay a price for their sin? Do you want to know why that woman wasn't allowed to die for her sin? Because someone was going to die for that sin. It just wasn't her. It was Jesus. The men say, oh no, somebody's got to pay for sin. Somebody's got to pay. And Jesus says, I agree 100% and it'll be me. Not her. And Jesus looks at you after you fill in that blank and says, somebody has to pay for that sin. And what Jesus did on the cross was to look at you and say, I'll do it. I'll do it. I take sin very seriously. And the consequence of sin is death. But here's the gift of Jesus. That you won't have to pay for your sins. That he will pay for them. That sin was paid for. Whatever fills in that blank, that sin was paid for. Someone died for that sin, and his name is Jesus. That's what makes the story of Christianity so different than every other world religion. Is that we're a part of a story where the hero dies to save the villain. Every other story, there's a hero celebrated. But in the story of Christianity, Son of God gives his life so that people far from God can have life and experience that in a true way. So in this story, every one of us is the adulterous woman. Every one of us have a mistake or a sin that we've made that have brought us to a place of shame and condemnation and pain. But just like the adulterous woman, I hope you know what Jesus did for you. I hope you know and hear what Jesus says to you through this story. I hope you see who the real Jesus is. In this story, you are the adulterous woman. But in this story, there are times in life where everyone in this room, including myself, can be the religious leaders. It's not that we're talking too much about what's right and wrong. It's that we have forgotten how much Jesus has forgiven us. It's we've forgotten how much right and wrong that we have been forgiven. No one should be greater at forgiveness than Christians. You want to know why? Because followers of Jesus fully comprehend how much they've been forgiven of. No one in the world should be better at loving others. Why? Because Christians understand how much we have been shown the unconditional love of God in our lives. C.S. Lewis says it like this, To be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable things in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable things in you. Drop the stones. Do you know who you are? Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know the love that God has shown for you? Drop the stones. Go, go, and live the life of forgiveness. Go and show that to others. Go and help other people find that freedom. In this story, you are the adulterous woman. In this story, you are the religious leaders. We both are. But here's the question for today. In this story, are you going to be like the third person? Because in this story, we have the opportunity, you and I, to be like Jesus. Because we've been the woman, because we've been the religious people with the stones in our hands, now we have the opportunity to know and be like Jesus. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin 
no more. 